The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey guys, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast, the show for men who want to take their lives to the next level. I'm your host, Nick Gregoratis, and today's guest is someone who's very close to my heart. His name's Aaron Nesmith Beck. And the reason this is such a special episode for me is Aaron is actually one of the first people that I ever mentored or indirectly coached. And what inspires me so much about him in this episode in particular is that uh, when I met him, he he was a very self-conscious, I don't want to say insecure because he wasn't insecure, but he, he was definitely not outgoing and charismatic. He was, he was very introverted and I never thought that he would be the kind of person who would be able to do the things that he's done. I saw potential in him, like he's a super intelligent guy, but I never thought he would take the route that he has and really step up the way that he has. So I'm just so, so happy for him and so impressed by him. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you guys that I am now available for private coaching. I have a very limited number of spots. I know a lot of people say stuff like that just to try to instill some sort of scarcity thing. But it's in this case, it's true. I, I take on a very limited number of private clients each quarter. And I have some spaces left for Q3. If you're a man who's wanting to take his life to the next level in any aspect or many aspects, including your career, your relationships, your spiritual development, there's a very good chance that I could help you. The best thing to do if you are interested in something like that is head on over and check out my website at liberationmentor.com. And if the information there seems appealing to you, you can book a chat with me to see if we're both on the same page. So head on over to liberationmentor.com if you're interested in private coaching with me. Let's dive straight into the episode with Aaron Nesmith Beck. Enjoy. Hey brothers, back with another podcast episode for you. And today's guest is, I don't even know how to put it, someone I love very much, someone who uh, has impressed me so much, especially over the last few years. I can speak in such a condescending manner because he's way younger than me. He's way too young to be successful and actualized as he is. The only thing I got over him is being a little bit older. He's my friend, Aaron Nesmith Beck. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, my man. Thanks for having me on, Nick. That's um, quite an introduction. Hopefully I can I can live up to it here. For sure, dude. Man, you have had a wild few years. You've been through a massive heartbreak. That was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You've went and did the digital nomad thing for a few years in Thailand, which we'll, we'll, I think we probably will skip because I just spoke to another friend of mine, Johnny, about it on the show. And it's uh, I don't want to get into that too much. We've also started a successful business, uh, in particular around one of your passions, which is the thing I'd really like to get into today. And, and besides that, you're just a very learned and wise and intelligent person. We have, you have wisdom far beyond your years. I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. It's, it's the truth, dude. And um, I'm just hoping you can share that with, with all the men listening today so we can, we can go on to lead better lives because of your influence, my man. So thanks for coming on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely happy to talk about uh, any and all of those things. Cool. Well, let's let's start with the hard part. <laughs> You're not going to like this, bro. But you got you got rolled by a chick. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember you called me up and like, you weren't crying or anything, but you were down. I could tell. It was like, damn. Yeah. Kid's down. And I just, you know, it was one of those points where I really felt like an older brother. I was like, ah, oh, this is what this is what I must have seemed like all those years ago when I got rolled by a chick. And, you know, it was uh, it wasn't fun to watch, but it was, it, it just brought back memories for me. And I was like, oh, he's going to get over it. He's going to like, you know, and was, uh, I was excited to see how you eventually got over it. And you did, you, you really pulled yourself out of it. Tell me a little bit about that, dude. What was, what, what do you sure. think? What do you think that was about? Yeah, that's like, that's quite a place to start. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember, I do remember calling you up uh, because I think we talked about that before, like just heartbreak and dealing with heartbreak and things like that. And we talked about relationship stuff before too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess it was basically my first experience of falling in love with somebody very intensely. And the whole thing happened over a period of only a couple of months, but it was like this extremely intense emotional experience, probably certainly the most intense emotional experience I'd had up to that point. And like possibly it's still very, very close to the top. And this was a couple, this was a couple of years ago now. But yeah, this girl and I just completely fell in love and it was the summertime and, you know, summer is a, just a, has that kind of feeling about it as well. Was that Calvin Harris track playing in the background? No, but we <laughs> <it> should have been. <laughs> yeah. And we just, it was just extremely intense. A lot of emotional ups and downs. The girl, I don't want to give too much personal information about the sure. people. Don't give people any. Here, but okay. Um, but yeah, just a lot of emotional ups and downs and it ended up ending not the way I would have wanted basically. Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And and what do you, what do you think you learned from it? Like what was the biggest takeaway you got from that experience? Like, is it, do you think it was, do you think it was inevitable? Do you think it was something you could have avoided? Do you think it was something you should have avoided? I think there's a bunch of takeaways. I think a huge takeaway for me is that, that like, like Hollywood love is like actually possible, which I probably would have been open to before, but wouldn't have known one way or the other. And then after having that experience, I actually, I sort of started to understand like what romance movies or romance books or whatever, or, or, or even, and, and even more serious stuff like love, love poetry or art is really talking about. So that was pretty eye opening, And it was the first time that it, it had happened to me like that, but it wasn't the first time for the girl. So that was kind of a, an interesting dynamic. Sure. That was a big, yeah, that was just a big piece of learning. And, um, and then the fallout, I just sort of learned how to, I don't know, had all this stuff coming up, like all this stuff was triggered basically during psychological stuff for me was triggered during that experience and afterwards, and then just sort of like figuring out how to manage this massive emotional fallout mm -hmm. and things that work, things that work for me in terms of processing emotions like I did a lot of, so I was doing a lot like meditation, doing a lot of meditation. I ended up just crying a lot. Like I wasn't, wasn't crying when I talked with you, like you said, but yeah, sure. I was spending a lot of time crying and, and just like learning that actually crying is pretty therapeutic. If you, if you need to cry. Sure. And yeah. And then there's some other techniques, like there's this thing called focusing that I, that I did a bit of during that time, um, which is basically 
this sort of it's kind it's kind of like an introspection technique developed by a psychotherapist named Eugene Gendlin and um, basically involves like getting in touch with the felt sense sort of somatic feelings of the body in terms of what's what's happening and it's almost like ha- having a kind of dialogue with the different felt senses in the body so just doing that too so so i'd love to hear more about this uh, this this fascinates me so for example you a feeling of anxiety or fear comes up right so the, uh, tell me what, what is the process you first try to identify which part of the body you're feeling it in i'm guessing so the way that so this for this focusing technique in particular the way it works actually is you well you can start off kind of agnostic to the thing you want to focus on or you can start off with a particular particular topic in mind but the first step is that you just ask yourself you sort of sit you sit down in a quiet place and you close your eyes and you get kind of centered and then you you ask yourself how's everything going for me right now or like is everything in my life going very well right now and then you just let you just kind of let that question go and things emerge in your mind things pop up like no this part's not going well this thing's not going well right now and then you sort of set these things aside. You say like, okay, here's one thing. And then another one comes up and you set that one aside. Say, okay, here's another thing. And then you pick, this is assuming you're, you've started out agnostic. And then you pick one of these things um, that, you, that you want to focus on. And usually the topic will bring up some bodily feeling. So the next step is you bring that, that topic to mind. And then you notice the bodily feeling. And usually they tell you to focus in around the center of your body. So like the trunk of your body. And yeah, and then after that, you, uh, I think I'm remembering this, this correctly, is you try to get what they call a handle on the, they call it a felt sense, the bodily feeling. Mm-hmm. So you try to get what they call a handle on the felt sense. And a handle is like a word or a phrase that really accurately describes the felt sense. Huh. And then you kind of like, uh, you go back and forth between, you sort of try different handles and you see and it's all just sort of based on your feeling. You see which one really fits. And so... And the handle is always, it's always a word. Is it? Yeah, the handle is a word or a phrase that, that describes the felt sense. And then once you have that handle, you... you yeah, once it. you have the handle, you can bring the felt sense back. And sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes even just getting the handle actually causes the felt sense to shift and change. And the way, I think I might be missing one step here or something, but you can... There's a subsequent step, which is asking the felt sense what it wants or what it needs. And you just kind of let these questions go into your subconscious or however you want to think about it. And then things kind of emerge. And yeah, I just, I found this pretty, pretty useful. Mm -hmm. I mean, so when you say pretty useful to me, that would mean a definite concrete improvement in my symptoms. Yeah, I think that's right. Immediately, just having things, having the the feeling shift around, sure. and being able to to view and experience the feeling in a new way, mm-hmm. immediate, happening immediately during this process, like you're actually feeling it happening, or getting some insight, like something can emerge. Let's say after you ask the felt sense something, something will emerge about it that you didn't okay. know before, you didn't see before, and that's just this immediate kind of feedback. Sure. I mean, at the at the root of it all because I've worked with similar techniques at the root of it all, it ultimately comes back to self-knowledge, right? Because that is a form of self-knowledge is figuring out what's going on inside of you. What, what is happening? What are the internal processes? And I, I really do feel that as men, a lot of us are taught 
are, are not taught to to understand that, to understand that element or that component to ourselves, and instead to just repress it or suppress it or express it negatively, you know, through going out to drink or doing drugs or getting in a fight or sex or whatever it might be. And, you know, anyone who knows me and is in my, in my circle will know that I've been raving about this book for a few years now called Letting Go, The Pathway to Surrender by Dr. David R. Hawkins, if I'm not mistaken. And his, the, the, the premise that he builds his whole system off of is that emotions, unless they are felt in their entirety, they become trapped in your psycho-spiritual makeup and will manifest in the people, circumstances, and events of your life. So that time when, I don't know, your dad was shouting at your mom and there was all this trauma as a little kid, if you don't know how to process that and, and feel it intensely and allow it to dissipate, it gets locked away within your psyche, within your spirit, within the tissues of your body. And then as you go through life, it will manifest in unconscious ways without you even having any control over it. You will be attracted to certain types of people because based on that energy, that energy within you will attract you to certain people with the same energy, which will cause the same type of uh, events or, or situations to manifest. And then it, it just becomes a self-perpetuating cycle. So it sounds to me like um, this focus technique is is kind of similar to the letting go technique in that it's it's all about really sitting with the feelings, identifying them and allowing them to dissipate. Would you say that's that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's right. It's definitely about engaging directly with the with the bodily feelings, with the emotions, and the way this sort of emotions relate to physical sensations and conceptual things in the mind. But yeah, what you're saying like totally aligns with things I've been learning about and reading recently. Like I read this book a few months ago called The Body Keeps the Score, which is all about wow. How that trauma is, yeah, is trauma is stored in the body. Okay. Exactly like you're saying. I mean, and it sort of reviews these different uh, methods that, that have turned out to be pretty effective for treating trauma. And they're all kind of body-based, like body-based therapies or different modalities for treating trauma. Sure. Oh, dude, I really like the idea of, the, idea of the sound of that. The, your body keeps the score. Yeah. It's a very good book. Yeah, the second we finish this this episode, I will be ordering that for sure. You know, um, one of the things that I love about you, I think it's why we're friends. One of the reasons we're friends is is you reflect a certain aspect of myself back at me. And that is this, you have this constant drive for improvement and the actualization and self-actualization and the fulfillment of your potential. For those of you who don't know, Aaron has got a wonderful blog called Freedom and Fulfillment, where uh, to your credit, Aaron, you're very open and honest and you're on the search, man. You're on the search for peak experiences and for your own contentment and your, your own fulfillment. And where, where did that come from? Have you always been like that? Has it, has it always been a drive in you or did, is it, was it something you had to cultivate? That's a good question. I think initially, initially it was actually mostly based on, it was maybe two things. A lot of fear about this sort of idea that I think a lot of people it's kind of a core fear for a lot of people, which is like not living up to one's potential or wasting one's potential mm-hmm. or living with a lot of regrets or dying with a lot of regrets. And we read actually in, in a high school literature class, we read this short story called A Little Cloud, which is by James Joyce. And 
the main character of this story is this guy who's kind of timid and life is kind of, is very mundane. And he's basically just not, he works in an office. It's set in, in Ireland in like the, I don't know, early 1900s or something. And he mm-hmm. works in an office doing some boring clerk type job. But what he really wants to do is write poetry and move to the big city and become like, make a name for himself. And this story really kind of skillfully juxtaposes the main character with uh, an old friend of his who comes to visit and his old friend has been off to travel around Europe and he's seen all these sights and amazing things. And then the main character goes home to his wife and his wife doesn't respect him very much. And he sort of snaps and like yells at his, uh, their baby. And it's kind of just this story about how a life might turn out if it's not if it's really not lived to its fullest. And I remember, so I remember reading that story, I think it was in 12th grade and it kind of like, I don't know, it really got to me, I guess. And I thought like, wow, you know, my, my life might turn out something like this if I, if I don't change some things around. Interesting, right? So yeah. So that was, that was one, maybe one half of it. And I would say initially a lot of the motivation was sort of more fear-based, like the way I'm talking about now, like aversion to some bad outcome. Whereas over time, I think it's, it's become a lot more uh, like desire to move towards a positive outcome. Sure, you've, you've moved from the the fear fear side of the dichotomy to the love side of the, the dichotomy, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to look at it for sure. Um, and then the other thing I think is, or was this kind of realization just from stumbling upon different things on the internet when I was a teenager? I think this kind of realization that uh, it's possible to just change aspects of one's own personality and that if you do this then like things about your life will just change Hmm. as a result and understanding this fairly early i guess and for some applications of this there's like very long feedback loops but for other applications there's pretty short feedback loops sure this this fast this absolutely fascinates me because so this uh, tell me if i'm correct this is um you mentioned before we started recording, uh, personality psychology is is, uh-huh. is it under, does it fall? What you're describing fall under that umbrella term? I guess it. I guess it could. I wasn't. I definitely wasn't thinking. I was thinking about it more in terms of back then, like personal development, sure. self improvement type terms. Sure. Which often starts off, I think, kind of like not as not very. I don't know, not very complex or like high-minded. It's like, oh, I want to get really muscular or something. Sure. And you sure. Start working, right? Like you start working out and then it's like, oh, yeah. actually, you know, if I do these different things, then this is what happens. And like my life, life starts to look a little different. Sure. But that, that idea of, you know, it might, it might be a long feedback loop or it might be a short feedback loop, but you do have the potential to, to change your circumstances and the tra- trajectory of your life. I mean, I think that's that's at the root of it all, right? That's at the root of why guys like you and I do what we do is it's the understanding that it, there exists the possibility. You know, the, 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 the cards that you're dealt aren't, it, that's not the end of it. You know, you can, you can change regardless of your financial background or your genetic, the genetic component of your physicality or your personality. All of these things can be to a degree changed or tweaked or improved and it ties into something that was one of my biggest breakthroughs of 2018 which is that we all you've heard that expression all the world's a stage and 
everyone merely a player or something. It's a it's a Shakespeare quote. I'm sorry, I can't remember it exactly, but this this guy um, I'm doing a I've been doing a fantastic course. It's been almost a year that I've been doing it for. And what he says is that you're playing a role. You have assumed a role, whether unconsciously or consciously, about the type of person you are, right? And that might have come from things your parents told you or things you learned in school or things that happened to you. But either way, it's a role. And if you have to think about what you want as a human being, what do you want out of life? Like how much money do you want to make? What kind of career do you want to have? What kind of relationships do you want? How do you want your life to look? And then ask yourself, is the role that I'm, or is the character I'm playing capable of achieving that, right? And if the answer is no, then you have to change the role. You have to assume a new role. So if you want to be wealthy, but you don't manage your money well, and you say to yourself, well, that's just the kind of guy I am. I don't manage my money or I don't like working hard. You have to accept that that is a role you're playing. You're playing a role of a guy who doesn't manage his money and doesn't work hard. If you want to do better, you have to assume a new role. You have to reprogram yourself to to be the kind of person who achieves the things you want. Does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think that's a really useful way of looking at all this stuff. And a way that's been very helpful for me is like pretty closely adjacent, looking at things in terms of adopting traits and eliminating traits, like adopting traits that I want to have and trying to eliminate traits that I don't want to have over time. And then, you know, gradually that sort of moves a person in the, along the, along the trajectory they want to go. The thing that a lot of people miss about this is that the first step is deciding and deciding what you want and defining the new role and figuring out which character, which traits you have to develop and which ones you have to eliminate. But then what where a lot of people got, get stuck and where as a younger man, I think I got stuck is they lack the consistency required to shift because you've been playing certain roles for so long they're they're habitual and sometimes unconscious and the only way to supersede that is to literally through brute force repetition you know like when you when you see an actor when daniel day lewis wants to play the the role in uh, of i can't remember the guy's name but that character he played in um gangs of new york that that gang leader he literally immerses himself in that role fully like the people on the set have to address him by the character name like he will live in circumstances that that character used to live in or or supposed to live in he fully adopts that role and that is what it takes to change it's not just like you don't just say hey i want to be i want to be a happier person tomorrow i want to be the kind of man who attracts beautiful woman or it doesn't just work that way that it takes this total dedication and uh, immersion into that new role yeah i think you're right about that I would say, so there's definitely like a commitment aspect, I would say as well, I do think there's some skill element to habit formation that probably varies somewhat from person to person. And just, and it's going back to what you said before about self-knowledge, things like this, I think it sort of get easier the more a person does them because, you know, let's say you start meditation practice, for example, and you're meditating for 20 minutes every morning and then... Mm -hmm after a few months, you start to learn things about yourself and not just in terms of the way that you might do meditation, but the way that you might try to adopt any, any habit. And then sure. the next time you try it, you say, okay, now I want to do this other thing. And when you start to try to do that other thing, you know, all these things about yourself from adopting the meditation practice that are then helpful. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned habit, Aaron, because that's 
huge in my life at the moment. It has been for a couple of years. And funny enough, that's one of the primary things I work with my clients on is the formation of new habits and the elimination of, of um, negative ones that they're trying to cut out. And it's, it's such an interesting process to watch yourself create or groove a new habit in. I read a book called The Power of Habit, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. One of the best books I've read in the past several years. And he gives a, gives you a formula for creating new habits. And I, I've used it extensively, but one of the habits I've created is I never leave dishes in the uh, sink anymore, right? Because I, I hate waking up to like, I'm a super tidy, like neat person and I hate walking into the kitchen and seeing dishes in the sink. So I created a new habit whereby I cannot go to sleep or walk past the sink if there's dishes in it. I just can't, right? And it's at the point, I, it took me a while but now I've seen it happen. I'll walk past the sink. There'll be a couple of dishes in it. And then I'll think to myself, oh, you can just do them later. Wait till they pile up a bit more and you can do them later. And I'll turn away from the sink and I literally can't. It's, it's like it's, it's physically difficult to not, to, to break the habit. of It's, it's so ter- um, grooved in. And, you know, uh, one of my mentors who's going to come on the show, a guy called Dr. Khalil Habib, he said something to me, which is the first thing that got me onto this habit kick. He he quoted Aristotle. He said, "All is habit, right?" That those three and those three words, I believe, are, you know, for those for those of you guys listening, meditate on those three words. All is habit. If you want anything in life, figure out what the kind of person who has those things does, the role he's playing, and start developing the habits necessary to become that person. Does that make sense to you? Definitely. Yeah, totally makes sense. It's it's funny you t- you say that about the not being able to turn away from the dishes in the sink too, because that's one way that, that I've thought about uh, the question of how to know when a, when a habit is ingrained or not is one way you can know when it is ingrained is when it, when it becomes easier to do it than, than not to do it. There you go. You're talking about this sort of extreme case where it's like extremely hard not to do <laughs> it. So for sure, it makes sense. What positive habits have played the biggest role in helping you become improve the quality of your life from that time when you were a young man in grade 12 and to where you are now having, I mean, I know you've still got a long way to go like we all do, but you've, you've set up a pretty decent life for yourself from what I can tell. Yeah. When, which habits have you do that? Yeah. So I do, I think meditation has been the, I would say probably the biggest one for me. I started meditating my second year of university and took a while to get consistent and build the habit, but it's just been like enormously positive and transformative and just mm-hmm. interesting, like fascinating practice, just very reliable, I guess. Yeah. Reliable in the sense that now I feel like I, it's almost like I feel like I have somewhere to go when I, True. when I meditate and I can just like sure. go to this sort of place. I've heard it said that meditation is your refuge from the world, right? When, yeah. when it all gets too much you retreat back, you just like fall back and you go within yourself and you, you recharge. And then you, when you're done, you're ready to come back and face the world. Yeah. It's just, it's just definitely given you so much. Um, so that's, that's always the first one that comes to mind. And then I guess otherwise like exercise obviously is, is quite important and trying to, maybe this, this is more recent, but trying to, trying to hold like the importance of telling the truth, which is difficult, obviously, and, and not lying even around small things. Sure. But that's something. It's a big one. 
that seems pretty alive and important for me or ha- has seemed over the past like year or two. Sure. And okay. So we got, we got meditation, regular exercise and yeah. Eating well is, imp- is, a, is an important habit. I would say nutrition for sure. Just sure. clean. Cause you're one of those guys who, who built himself up as well. You were, you're quite a skinny dude and now you're, you're pretty jacked dude. And you did it through, you educated yourself and then it was hard work and time in the gym. Yeah, I'm actually. I haven't. I haven't seen you in a few years. I was way more jacked when uh, when we knew each other. Now I stopped. I stopped taking lifting as seriously, and I got a lot more into yoga and sort of mobility work and nice, kind of more like well rounded. I would say fair enough fitness stuff. But but yeah, for sure. Like eating, I learned. I mean, I learned a lot about nutrition throughout that period. Getting putting on a lot of muscle as a, as like a naturally thin person is fairly difficult yeah. Um, and yeah it is yeah the habit of like viewing i guess being able to view food in different ways like for sure. enjoyment but also utility and then just like thinking about thinking about in terms of macronutrients or mm-hmm. calories or whatever seems pretty useful micronutrients all that all sure. that stuff i guess yeah a kind of habit of being able to look at food that way, if that if that makes sense, or look at nutrition that way. Cool, yeah. So I mean, uh, the pr- pretty standard ones. Uh, I guess meditation. Some people might consider is a slightly out there one on that list, but generally, it's it's pretty standard things. And I guess yeah, sometimes the the simplest ones are the most important, right? Like eating well, exercising, telling the truth. I mean, these aren't like radical paradigm shifting ideas, but I guess if you're missing any of them, it really fucks you up. Yeah, I think so. It's not, yeah, it's not that crazy. And I think that's what, I think that's probably generally true is that there's not, this is the thing. It's like the people are always looking for the big secret or what's the big, what's the trick? Like what's the, you know, all those clickbait internet ads are kind of preying on this tendency for people to want to be finding like the, there's this like one reveal. And once you know this one thing, then, then it opens the door to everything you ever sure. wanted. But but in reality, it's not. It's actually like fairly basic, well sure. understood things, and it's just getting a good grasp on on those basic things. Yeah. I, however, some of those things aren't as well known as you would think. I mean, there's there's certain people who, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him out on it because he is one of the most learned men I've ever met. One of a very close friend of mine, and I don't. I don't judge him for it. It, it was just a very, I found it a fascinating observation. The gentleman I mentioned earlier, Dr. Khalil Habib, um, one of my mentors, he is a doctor of philosophy, an extremely in-demand philosophy professor who teaches, he's a guest lecturer at Oxford. He's done work for the Department of Defense. He, he is at the top of his game and a fountain of knowledge. I mean, I can sit down and listen to this guy talk for hours and yet when 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 i was getting to know him once we did a, a jiu-jitsu class and at the end of the class i got everyone to meditate for five minutes and he was he was like wow i've never done anything like that before and I, it just blew my mind i was like i, I could not believe that a, such a wise man had missed out on that massive component do you know what i mean so it's like it's not there's certain things that guys like you and i who've been seeking for a long time take for granted. Like, you know how to walk into a gym and you know how to go and lift safely and effectively, right? But not everyone knows that, right? And and the things that we don't know as well, loads of things. I mean, I'm still continuously astounded by the 
the amount of stuff in life that I just don't have a handle on. Cooking is one of them. Like I don't understand the fundamentals of cooking and something I have to go and study and get better at. Right. So I kind of disagree with you a little bit on that, that these, like these simple things, they, they actually, some of them are secrets to some people like meditation that to, to some people that is a secret. That is a secret that they don't have the inside track to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. I think probably being immersed in bubbles and spheres of people who are really interested in the same things that I'm interested in excuse mm-hmm. my view on a lot of these things, probably a, f- a fair bit. Sure. So that makes sense for sure. Or no, even, even knowing, I think to get a bit more granular, like knowing which resources or methods within these domains are actually worth pursuing and which ones aren't like sure. that, that is, that's definitely harder to come way harder to come by for sure. For sure. Then that is the job of a coach or a mentor. Right. It's not so much to teach you things. I mean, obviously they will, but it's more to just help save you the time of right. going on this massive search to figure out what works and what doesn't. So yeah, I totally get that, my brother. No, absolutely. I want to talk about your new project. Uh, it's not even that new. It's 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 been going for a while and it's it's been very successful. And the reason I want to talk about it is because it is such it represents such a shining example of what happens when someone is courageous and defines what they want and steps up and takes it, right? Like so you have created a retreat called Atman where you you take people to Jamaica to do psychedelic integration workshops through using psilocybin as the um, the particular psychedelic. And the thing I absolutely love about it is you just decided, this is what I'm going to do. This is what interests me. You know, you've been fascinated with psychedelics for a long time. And you were like, I want to do retreats and help people out. And you went out and did it. You did it. You took the action. And I just want to know, like, I want to know more about it, obviously, but before we even get into that, I want to know, like, was there a point where you were sitting in your room thinking, I can't do this, that you've, you found like a, a, a secret thought or a master thought that helped you turn that around or like what gave you the courage to, to be able to do this? Because you're young, man. What are you, Aaron? Like 25 now? I'm 26. 26. And, and you just did this all on your own, dude. And it just blows yeah. my mind. Like, Tell me more, bro. Tell me. I'd love to hear yeah. the process and what led to that. Okay. So there was a period of about... So I initially, I started this. It was about probably about a year ago now. I started it working on it with a friend of mine here in Toronto. And we were planning we were planning to more or less like co-found it together and, and work on it together. And after a couple of months, my friend had opted out of working on it. Just He just had too many other commitments still working on academic stuff, papers, research, like just too much, too many other commitments. So then, and then at the same time, I had another, not the relationship we were talking about previously, which was a few years ago, but another relationship ended at, at about the same time. And, you know, there was emotional fallout from this relationship too. So after, after having worked on this for a few months and then my co-founder opting out in this relationship ending, there was a period of about a month of just extreme uncertainty where I really wasn't sure if I was going to continue on with it or not. And I had a ton of doubts. I just wasn't sure if I was up to the task. I wasn't sure if I could do all the work myself or I needed to, to find somebody else. I was afraid of the legal ins and outs and 
just dealing with, I don't know, all these things I'd never done before dealing with lawyers and thinking about raising funding and basically hiring people. I mean, not hiring people full time, but trying to find a team that would work the facilitators for the retreat, all these different things that were pretty unfamiliar. So yeah, it just, I had a lot of self-doubt for about a month and eventually sort of came through it. I did, I did have a big mushroom trip in there, which, uh, <laughs> which played a big role in getting through it. Tell me, could you, could you, I know it's those experiences can often be beyond the ability to package into to speech, but can you explain to us the insight that you received and how, how it came to you on, on that mushroom trip? Because that, that really fascinates me and I'm sure the listeners as well will find that interesting. Yeah, it is kind of possible. I've had, I don't know, insights on psychedelics are sort of on a spectrum of how explainable they are or not. Um, <laughs> but I, I, uh, it was interesting because this was actually a negative, probably the, the fir- about the first half of this trip was the most negative psychedelic experience I've had. And I was lying down and I was, I think I was fasted. Uh, I hadn't eaten very much lying down, listening to this music. I was trying out a new, new music playlist and I was super anxious and, you know, the anxiety was getting exacerbated by, by the psychedelic trip. And I was thinking, I lived on a main street and I could always hear, um, emergency vehicles going by like sirens, so hearing sirens all the time. And I kept thinking of hearing sirens and I kept thinking about police and, you know, getting in trouble for using psychedelics or something. And this was all just kind of feeding together and like looping, this anxiety looping. And then eventually, I don't know what happened, but I got up and I, I thought, okay, it doesn't have to be like this, I guess. And I changed the music and I think I opened the curtains or something and I, and I had some food. And I mean, you know this, but for, for people listening who have not had psychedelic experiences, really, really minor changes in the environment can make a massive change in, in, in terms of one's psychology and sure. in these kinds of states, just these small changes. Um, and then I started, I don't know, my whole state just kind of changed. And I thought like, actually I can manage this, all this retreat stuff and I can manage even more and it's fine. And like, I'll just figure it out. The things I don't know, I'll figure them out. Mm-hmm. And this is great. And this is the best thing ever. Like I'm having a good time on mushrooms right now. And I'm so, I'd be so happy and grateful to be able to give this to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's just enormously motivating. Sure. That explains it. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just helped you reframe it as it helped you reframe the difficulties and the challenges as a positive thing, as opposed to a negative thing, which is massive. I mean, that's absolutely massive. So then from there, you, you took this newfound motivation and confidence and you just started doing the work, right? You just went and booked the venue or tell me a little bit more about the process then. Sure. Yeah. So I was getting help from a close friend who was basically acting as an advisor for the project. And he's still, he's still an advisor, close friend of mine. And he was extremely helpful throughout this just to be able to bounce all the ideas off for me to, for me to not know that I was, I was kind of the only one who knew what was going on with the project was just really kind of helpful psychologically. Sure. So that was, that was really good. Just having, having a friend, having the advisor there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I, what I did actually was make a flow chart of all the things that needed to happen. Okay. I think it was the month of December last year. 
up until the first retreat happened. And this flowchart had everything, basically every, I mean, not every single little thing, but basically everything on it. And so you basically, you, you externalize, this is fascinates me because with my jujitsu career, that was one of the ways I, I really increased my, my progress is at one point I just sat down and I created, it wasn't a flowchart so much as it was a mind map, but it was an almost like an externalization of all the, the kind of the stuff that was rolling around in my head right. and, and just that act of putting it into that format greatly improves your understanding of the situation. Right. Exactly. A hundred percent. And seeing sure. which things need to happen in which order and what seems now more important that it's out in front of you and what seems less important. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was extremely, extremely helpful. And just having it all laid out. And then, yeah, I went to Jamaica in February earlier this year. That was part of the process. And I uh, scouted around, around different, different venues. I had sort of shortlisted a bunch on a spreadsheet. And then I went to visit about five different venues in Jamaica mm-hmm. and settled on a really, really nice one. It's a beautiful beachfront property. It's pretty ideal for these retreats. And I met with uh, mushroom growers down in Jamaica. True. I was pretty fortuitously introduced to mm-hmm. through like a third third degree connection or something. Mm-hmm. A lot of things seem to kind of fall in place. That's what I, I've noticed is interesting is when you're on the right path, yeah, yeah. Things, it, it flows, man. It just right, flows. Right. And when right. you're on the wrong path, it is literally like wading through fucking yeah. mud, dude. And that's really cool to hear. It's it's funny enough with Liberation Mentor and this new project I'm doing, it has it has truly flowed. So it's so good for me to hear that and hear that you experienced the same thing. Um I was just thinking when uh when you mentioned that you had to go to Jamaica for quote research. Um, <laughs> I love that because I'm going to be doing a retreat next year in Hawaii, like a men's retreat. And I have to, to go through and, and scout location, scout the venues as well. So I guess that's one of the perks of doing shit like this, right? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, man. So yeah. So it all just came together. And I mean, your, your first retreat for Atman happened. And please remind me why you chose the name Atman. The name Atman, so Atman is a Hindu term that translates as true self or soul or something. But basically, there's this idea of Atman Brahman and Atman is the kind, Brahman is this sort of divine totality mm-hmm. of the universe, like the cosmic, the cosmos, whatever. And Atman is like the piece of that divine totality inside of each person or there's different ways to think about it, but the piece of the piece of the, the totality inside of each person or the kind of like window to the divine inside of each person. Another way to think about it is like just the capacity for transcendent experience that people have. And it sounds like these these are the things that, that you're hoping yeah, you retreat right. will offer, which is that allow people to have these transcendent experiences and allow them to connect with this piece of divine cosmic energy within them. And I guess my question for you is after this first retreat where you've had, I think, was it 24 people? Mm -hmm, 23. 23. Would you say that many people got something that, or at least something close to that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it kind of comes with the territory. Not, not everybody (laughs) of course has the incredible sort of breakthrough that they're hoping for and that, that we're hoping for, but certainly many people did. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you know, the thing I've liked most about those, those types of experiences, those group psychedelic trips is it's always such an immense bonding 
thing, you know, the people that you, because you go, sometimes it can be pretty tough and pretty intense. And that's one of the ways people bond, right. Is through shared experiences and the, the intensity of the emotional experience uh, is directly proportionate to the, the bonding that takes place afterwards. Right. And I'm guessing you guys were all the best of friends at the end of that. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Seeing the groups, bef- seeing, seeing everybody arrive, nobody knows each other. They're sort of, sort of talking and it's kind of cordial and polite and maybe m- many people are nervous, understandably, especially if it's their first time mm-hmm. seeing that at the beginning of the retreat and then seeing the way that people were afterwards, after they'd all gone through this, this powerful sort of opening experience uh, was really fascinating and it's cool. Pretty heartening. Yeah. 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 And did you, uh, did you partake of um, the psilocybin as well or, or did you just facilitate or no, manage? the whole team. So it was myself and uh, three facilitators and then another, the same friend I mentioned actually, who's, who's been the advisor. The whole team stayed, stayed sober throughout the retreat. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. You know, in life, there's, there's, you can broadly categorize people into two types, which is um, the talkers and the doers, right? And you are a doer, man. It was such a pleasure for me to watch. You said, I'm going to create this retreat. And it didn't just happen, you know, and there were hurdles to overcome. And I'm sure it was extremely challenging and anxiety inducing at, at times, but you fucking went out and did it, Aaron. And I just want to tell you in case no one else has, man, I'm so proud of you. And, and I hope you give yourself credit for that. Thanks, man. Yeah, that means a lot, especially coming from you. So I appreciate it very much. For sure. Now let's say what, what is for the Amman retreat? What is the, the ideal candidate for uh, coming away to, to do you, to use um, psilocybin in Jamaica at, at your retreat? What, what kind of person would, would this suit? It would suit somebody who is somebody who's either new to psychedelics or has had some psychedelic experience before mm-hmm. for the latter type of person, somebody so we had a few, we had several people like this, people who've had maybe small, smaller psychedelic experiences that they found interesting, but who really want a, a big experience that in, in somewhere where they know it's safe and they know they're going to be supervised by experienced, qualified people, things like that. Somebody who, who has done some research themselves and has some knowledge about the sort of subject matter and what they're getting themselves into. Okay. Somebody who's interested in self-exploration, greater self-understanding somebody who is looking for insight, somebody who sort of understands or maybe intuits that there's like more to life and to experience than what it just, what there just seems to be on the surface. Mm-hmm. Damn, dude, I want to sign up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to come to the next one. <laughs> no, look, I mean, we've always said it and I've made myself a promise that I wouldn't mention ayahuasca in today's show because I'm hard to every single episode. But I've made myself a promise that one day you and I are gonna are gonna do some kind of psychedelic experience together. Already, and I look. Forward oh yeah, for sure. It's gonna be cool. If people listening want to find out more about what you do, where where's the best place to send them, Aaron? Uh, so the retreat website is atmanretreat.com, which is a t m a n retreat.com. And then my personal website is anesmithbeck.com, A-N-E-S-M-I-T-H-B-E-C-K.com. And there's a link to my blog and Twitter, I think, too, on the personal website. Great. Man, kid, you are going places, truly. And you represent 
what this show is all about, what we're all trying to achieve, which is actualization and liberation. And I'm, I'm just very proud to know you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for talking with me. I, I really appreciate it. And good luck with uh, the mentoring and the, and the podcast and everything. As I said at the start of the show, what Aaron has done is so, so inspiring to me. I never thought that he would be the kind of person who would be able to cope with something as stressful as running a retreat of that nature. And that's not to say I didn't think he was super capable and super intelligent. It's just uh, he, as I said earlier, he's very introverted. And I know it must have cost him a lot on all levels to become the kind of person who could go and do something like that. You know, I'm, I'm someone I, I really have disdain for people who just talk and never take action. I truly hate that. And I love the fact that Aaron, he didn't say much about this. He kind of said in passing that he was going to, that he was interested in doing something like this. And then before you knew it, he had taken action and he had done all the steps required and he was doing it. He was living his dream. He had an interest in psychedelics. He wanted to see how he could turn it into a, a enjoyable and lucrative business and something that would free him and, and allow him to travel. And he went out and did it. You know, he's, he's written a book on self-development as well. He's uh, got an amazing blog called Freedom and Fulfillment. He's done all this stuff and he's not even yet 26, which is so inspiring. So um, go check out his work. You can find most of his stuff at freedomandfulfillment.com. And also guys, if, you can, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps us create a bigger impact and affect more people's lives in a positive way. Hope you guys enjoyed. Until next time, peace out.